0: of those moments where you think, right, okay, I've got to use my training. (laughs) What I want to do this morning is have a bit of a reality check with you about what's life really like, Um, because sometimes we come to church, and it's all very nice, and it's all very hyped up, uh, and we sometimes think, great, I've been encouraged, now I can go home and get on with my life. Mm, No. Okay, so um, a guy called, I don't even know if this was a man, I'm assuming it was, Saint Irenaeus. Famous quote, alert. The glory of God is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. John 10.10, famous verses from the New Testament. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Ooh, Okay. So now we've got some correlation here. The glory of God is man fully alive. And Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In Proverbs four twenty three, one of my favorite verses, the Bible says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. But I want to challenge you this morning. Are you experiencing life to the full? Or are you living in the same world as me? Where tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up very, very early. Before I'm ready to wake up, I'm going to make a long journey across the countryside to my place of work. It's going to be bleak and gray, like most... December days in England. And I've got to go about my daily work with people who don't know God. That's my reality. So I've got to do something to deal with that. Otherwise, it gets on top of me. So, God is clearly offering us life. And life to the full. Are we accessing it? Or are we living a dreary existence? where we just go about our business uh, and effectively wait to die. It's a big challenge, isn't it? (laughs) In Romans 6, verse 4, Paul writes, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Again, there's something different happening there. We're supposed to be living new lives. We're supposed to be having life to the full. It's almost like there must be more than this, isn't it? (laughs) Well, there's a problem with the world, you see. And and this is a subject that no one likes to talk about because it's not politically correct, but I'm going to go for it. We have an enemy. You won't hear this in our re-lessons, guys. (laughs) because the teachers don't always believe it either. But we have an enemy, and we are at war. Back to the garden. Garden of Eden, back in Genesis. Genesis 1.27. You're going to need your Bibles this morning, by the way. I'm going to be zooming about through the Word of God quite a bit. Um, So Genesis 1, right back at the beginning of your Bible, just after the contents, I think you'll find it. Okay, Um, yeah. Oh, and in mine, it's the features. I don't know what that is. Um, But anyway, so Genesis 1, written a long time ago, in verse 27, um, says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Whatever you believe about creation, evolution, all the rest of it, all the big questions of life, that can't be denied, okay? That is what we believe. That God created men and women in his image. Now, the important thing there is we're created in his image. If we believe in, in the God we talk about, we believe that our God is awesome. That he is this incredible father, three in one, that created everything out of nothing. That he is incredibly loving and glorious. And we're created in that image that should say something too. We're not designed to just get by. Psalm 8, verse 3 to 5. Takes me back to what Brian was saying earlier. Says, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. We were made for more than this. We were made for more than this small building in this small town. We were made for greatness, every single one of us. And then life happens. We're coming up to Christmas. Yay! when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And it's all very nice, isn't it? If you listen to Jeremy Clarkson, it's all about the baby Jesus. And it's all very twee and all very nice and all very, oh, we'll just laugh at them (laughs) and we'll have Christmas for ourselves. No, Christmas was an invasion. We're at war. It was the greatest invasion of all time. It was the invasion that the enemy really didn't want to see. He knew what was coming. I'm going to take you to Revelation now. (laughs) Not many people preach from Revelation. And remember, this was a dream that John had in the latter stages of his life while he was a prisoner on an island in the Mediterranean. And in chapter 12 of Revelation, there is an account of what God showed to John, of what happened at Christmas. I want to read this to you. From verse 1 of chapter 12. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance, I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. (laughs) This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times and half a time. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war with the rest of her children. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Are you getting this like I'm getting this? Then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. He's still there. He's fighting. <laughs> Some of us aren't fighting, we're passive. That's dangerous. C.S. Lewis, respected academic. In his book, Mere Christianity, and I quote, I can find it, In a chapter called The Invasion, he writes, One of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talks so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who was held to be the power behind death and disease and sin. The difference is that Christianity thinks that this dark power was created by God and was good when he was created and went wrong. Christianity agrees, and that's a rare thing. The universe is at war. I added the rare thing bit. (laughs) We have to come to terms with it. Because if we don't, we misinterpret roughly 90% of what goes on in our lives. And I'll come to why in a minute. Apparently it's only 25 past 11. (laughs) I've got ages yet. (laughs) Let's do some more stories. (laughs) Conscious of time. I'm going to go now to uh, Matthew 13, and uh, verse 1. And this is a story Jesus told. Jesus, at this point, is hanging out with thousands of people who are following him around. And his disciples are close around him. And he's telling them parables, one after another. Telling them stories to try and open up their hearts. So that same day, Jesus left the house and went out beside Lake Galilee, where he sat down to teach. Such large crowds gathered around him that he had to sit in a boat while the people stood on the shore. Then he taught them many things by using stories. Some of them are recorded. He said, A farmer went out to scatter seed in a field. While the farmer was scattering the seed, some of it fell along the road and was eaten by birds. Other seeds fell on thin, rocky ground and quickly started growing because the soil wasn't very deep. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and dried up because they didn't have enough roots. Some other, bear with me, seeds... So where thorn bushes grew up and choked the plants. But a few seeds did fall on good ground, where the plants produced 100 or 60 or 30 times as much as was scattered. If you have ears, pay attention. Jesus said that a lot. <laughs> if you have ears, pay attention. Some people don't listen. They don't get the story. So he goes on in verse 18 to explain it. <laughs> because they went, what does it mean? Why do you keep telling us stories? We don't get it. So he makes it really clear for them. He says, now listen, in verse 18, to the meaning of the story about the farmer. The seeds that fell along the road are the people who hear the message about the kingdom but don't understand it. Then the evil one comes, it's him again, and snatches the message from their hearts. The seeds that fell on rocky ground are the people who gladly hear the message and accept it right away, but they don't have deep roots and they don't last very long. As soon as life gets hard, or the message gets them in trouble, they give up. The seeds that fell among the thorn bushes are also people who hear the message, but they start worrying about the needs of this life and are fooled by a desire to get rich. So the message gets choked out and they never produce anything. The seeds that fell on good ground are the people who hear and understand the message. They produce as much as a 100 or 60 or 30 times what was planted. So it's a powerful message. It's a very simple message that anyone could understand. Why you did it? I just want to very quickly go over what the seeds mean in, in, in our terms. Okay, so first of all, the the ones that fell on the road. Imagine, if you will, a stick man. I couldn't get a picture of this, but a stick man with a massive head. Okay, this is somebody who builds up lots of knowledge about God by reading the Bible, reading through things, about God and builds up a huge amount of knowledge but lacks an encounter with him. The Holy Spirit's acknowledged but not regularly encountered. They particularly have trouble trouble with believing about God and things in the Bible because of science. They say, oh, I can't see any scientific proof so I'll reserve judgment. And that basically, the message that you're picking up there temptation-wise is hold back. So you're easy to pick off. The ones that fell, um, sorry, my notes are confusing me again. Yeah, the rocky ground. These are, if you like, the stick man, but the stick man's got an enormous body and a tiny head. So take it to its extreme. Fell in the rocky ground, it's shallow. These people, they chase after Holy Spirit encounters. They follow um, celebrities in Christianity. They chase after them to try and get the latest blessing. But they don't always go back to their Bible. They don't always work it out. The, the agreement you make with the enemy is if you just keep running around, a great miracle will happen and you'll get fixed instantly. In the meantime, just carry on as you are. No, it's not right. It's not balanced. The thorn bushes, well, stick man with big money bags. <laughs> this is focused on achievement and success. If I'm a success in life, if I have great accolades, if I have lots of money and great things, people will see how successful I've been and I will feel good. Lifestyle comes first. Shallow worldview, often charitable, but rarely involved front line. The agreement you make is it's kind of good, but it might not be true. It's Jesus stuff. So just in case, I'll build a life without God in case it all goes wrong. The good soil is a balanced body and head. And it keeps the spirit and the word in balance. Humble enough to make mistakes and learn from them. Trust God when they don't understand. Encounters God regularly in tangible ways. Prays a lot. Talks with God. Meets other Christians regularly because they know they need it. I'm going to read to you um, from a book which I've found foundational. It's called Waking the Dead. Uh, If you've never read this, and you're looking to break through in life to something bigger in God, this is the book to read, believe me. It's not that well known. It's by John Eldridge. It's called Waking the Dead, and it's uh, it's an amazing book. It's all about the heart. I'm going to read you this, because I can't say it any better than he does. I've read this four times now. Um, Okay. So going back to Adam and Eve... The devil is seeking for an agreement on our part. He's hoping we'll buy into whatever he's saying, offering, or insinuating. Our first parents bought into it, and look what disaster came of it. But that story is not over. The evil one is still lying to us, seeking our agreement every single day. Your heart is good. Your heart matters to God. These are the two hardest things to hang on to. I'm serious. Try it. Try to hold this up for even a day. My heart is good, my heart matters to God. If I asked you this morning when you walked in, how's your heart? Would your first reaction be to say my heart's good or would your first reaction be my heart's grieved, my heart's sad, my heart is depressed, my heart is troubled? You try holding it up even for a day and saying my heart's good, my heart matters to God. You'll be amazed at how much accusation you live under. You have an argument with your daughter on the way to school. As you drive off, you have a nagging sense of, well, you really blew that one. If your heart agrees, yeah, I really did, without taking the issue to Jesus, then the enemy will try to go for more. You're always blowing it with her. Another agreement is made. It's true, I'm such a lousy parent. Keep this up, and your whole day's tanked in about five minutes. The enemy will take any small victory he can get. It moves from, you did a bad thing, to you are bad. Or weak or ugly, or prideful. You know how it goes. After a while, it just becomes a cloud we live under, except as normal. Recognize this? I do. Check this one out. This is one for the other gender. So my friend Aaron decided to get into shape. He went out and took a run. First, the enemy tried discouragement to get him to quit. Look how far you have to go. You can't do this. You'll die out there. Give it up. Aaron thought, gee, it is a long way. I'm not sure I can do this. Then he recognised what was going on and pressed into it. The attack became more personal, more vicious. He was running along and he was hearing stuff like this. You're just a fat pig. You always have been. A gorgeous woman in fabulous shape approached from the other direction. She'd never be attracted to a slob like you. By the time I got back to my car, he said, it felt like I'd been assaulted. (laughs) But this time I knew what it was, and I won. I made no agreements. (laughs) That's why I love this book. It's real. I've been there. I've had those messages going on in my head. People go, oh, I just don't believe in myself. Why? Because you've made an agreement with Satan, that's why. Because he told you, you can't do it. I'm going to go off my notes here, because this is important. (laughs) The enemy wants to take you down. Not just you, but everyone around you. And if he can take you down, he's partway there. He has an agenda. He's had his agenda for thousands of years. He's after you, he's after me. The great news is, we have a saviour that's bigger, and better, and has already won. (laughs) If you see a demon behind every bush, there's two angels. (laughs) Only a third of the stars went from the sky. God won. But there is a battle going on and your enemy is angry. He's angry with you because you're doing good things. And he'll do everything he can to undermine and chip away at you and look for you to agree with him that you can't do it. Question is, are we fighters or are we going to be passive? Because if we're passive, he'll roll over you. He's been doing it for a long time and he's taken down better men than you. You know, it's something I have to tell myself very regularly. And I saw this quote this week, I can't remember who said it, but it was, if there's one thing I've learned in life, son, it's there is a God, and I'm not him. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great quote, I think it was on Facebook this week. Stays with you, that sort of thing. I am not him, I can't do what God does, but he can. And if I allow him to take control of the thoughts coming through my mind, as well as my actions... And, and everything else I do, if I take my thoughts to him, before they take root, he can go, no, Steve, that's, that's not true. Okay, your heart is good, and your heart matters to God. Your heart is good, and your heart matters to God. Okay. Okay, I'm going to read you one more thing before I finish, because time's getting on. According to the clock, it's 25 to 12. So, <laughs> treating your heart for the treasure it is. Above all else, guard your heart. We heard at the beginning, Proverbs 4.23. We usually hear this with a sense of, keep an eye on that heart of yours. In the way you'd warn a deputy watching over some dangerous outlaw, or a bad dog the neighbours let run, don't let him out of your sights. Having so long believed our hearts are evil, we assume the warning is to keep us out of trouble. So we lock up our hearts and throw away the key and then try to get on with living. But that isn't the spirit of the command at all. It doesn't say guard your heart because it's criminal. It says guard your heart because it's the wellspring of your life. Because it is a treasure. Because everything else depends on it. How kind of God to give us this warning. Like someone's entrusting to a friend something precious to him with the words, be careful with this, it means a lot to me. Yesterday we were at a pantomime um, and my youngest, Toby, fell asleep on me, most of it. Um, in the second half, it got a bit more exciting. He did switch off for a while so he wanted to go home, but then he came back because they started doing some good stuff. Um, and then it got to the point where um, they, they set off the glitter and they had these little guns up on their gallery and all this like ticker tape came down. And suddenly, you know, Toby loves treasures. He picks stuff up off the road. He's got cigarette butts in a little box. You know, he's just, oh, look at that. You know, it's a bottle top. And he'll collect it. He collects treasures. And I see something of God in that, actually. You know, I don't want to stop it because it's good. Although he picks up some manky stuff. It's, <laughs> it's like, that's not treasure. Yeah. But, it's like, but these, these little bits of glitter, these little strips of paper that came down. He was like, wow, I've got to have those. And he went looking for them. He was crawling over people to get them. And he got, some, he got some in the end. He got about four, I think he got. And he was quite happy with four, because he's four. Okay, simple world. You know? When you're four, that's all you care about. I've got four, I've got. I'm four, I'm four. All right, that's it, all is good. I can relax now. Okay? Now, the great thing about that, is that's how God feels about your heart. When he sees your heart, he goes, oh, there it is. There's a the heart. I love that heart so much. Everything he does... He's trying to get your heart, trying to win you over, trying to woo you. <laughs> Sometimes he does miracles for you to show you. Sometimes he just, he just goes, you know what, I can't see you, so I thought I'm just going to do that for you. Boom. <laughs> did you see what I just did for you? Oh, you haven't noticed. That's how he feels. So he does another miracle in your life. He goes, you know he needed all that money? Here it is. Miraculously. Oh, wow, God gave me all the money. Next day, oh, just so sad. just need God to break through in my life. And God's standing there going, I just gave you all that money. I still love you. And he tries again and again and again in different ways to try and get to your heart. Will you give God your heart? Or will you lock it away? My challenge to you this morning is the rest of this week is to hold up those two things. My heart is good. If you don't believe that, you're going to have problems. And secondly, my heart matters to God. I've been trying this since last night. (laughs) Don't look at my wife. Don't look at my wife. Since last night, I've been acutely aware of my weaknesses, shall we say. Somebody keeps pointing them out to me. It's not Lucy. So, from the moment I opened my eyes this morning, I've been accused. But why? I was expecting it, actually. Because I went to bed last night. I was like, God, I know what's going to happen tomorrow. Because I've been praying about this. And I knew... There's gonna be something. And for the moment I woke up this morning, you're selfish, you're ungrateful. <laughs> you just you just want, you just take, take, take. You give nothing back. You don't even parent your kids properly. Whoa, one after another. And somehow I've got to this morning without accepting any of them. So I'm doing okay. But now the challenge is yours. Yeah. I know what's going on. So <laughs> The key thing is tomorrow morning, when, I, when you wake up tomorrow morning, in, in your case, in the afternoon when you wake up. <laughs> so, sorry, little dig there, had to do it. What are you going to do tomorrow? Because that's when the attack comes. The attack comes unexpectedly because your enemy's not, not stupid. He knows you're strong now. He'll leave you alone for a bit now, probably. <laughs> but he'll go for you later when you let your guard down, when the telly's on late tonight. And everyone else has gone to bed, blokes. And you think, I might just watch that movie. It's got some naughty bits in it. It's a decision to make, isn't it? Do I stay up, watch that film that I shouldn't really watch? Or just go to bed? Yeah. You know, that's when he'll come. And he'll go, you don't need to sleep. You're wide awake. Get the film on. It's no big deal. It's just a little bit of sex. You know? That's how he does it, guys. And he's done it to me just as much as he does it to you. So Don't think I'm perfect. I'm not. But we need to be aware that we have an enemy. He's angry. Just like my dog is grumpy all the time. He's angry. Probably worse. But he's beaten. And because he's beaten, he's more angry. He's trying to do everything he can to limit the victory that God has got. And we need to turn the tables on him all the time. Okay? Don't be afraid. Because you don't need to be afraid. You have a God that's already won the battle. But you do need to be alert. You need to be switched on in your life. You need to be balanced between the Spirit and the Word. So when you have an experience with the Holy Spirit, relate it to the Bible. What is this? What is God saying to me? Pray about it. Don't just go, yeah, great, I another fell on the floor again. It's so shallow, isn't it? What was God doing down there? Something. Yeah. Clearly. When God gives you a miracle... Praise him for it. Let everybody know. Tell everyone how great he is and give him your heart. That's all I'm going to say this morning. Have a great week. And I hope that encourages you.